Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and resident infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Hello, everybody. Everybody, hello. How you doing? I don't know what that was, but this is episode 65, the second episode of 2021, and I'm clearly getting stir-crazy. Um, thanks for putting my voice in your ear pockets, guys. We are approaching the final stretch of this season with only seven episodes left until we take a brief three-month pause and resume in the summer of 2021. Just a break, not gone forever, just a pause. Today's episode is with the amazing infertility advocate, Kirsty Lee, all about going through IVF when your partner is away. This happens to couples when one person is traveling for work, in the military, in active duty, or there's just a unique set of circumstances that won't allow them to be in the same place at the same time. So Kirsty is here to talk all about this unique situation and how folks can best keep their partner involved even when they are away. If you aren't following the podcast on Instagram, jump on it. Stay in the know. Hear more about my own personal journey to parenthood and get regular updates about the pod. We are so close to hitting 5,000 followers on Instagram. It's such a meaningless goal. That's true. But hey, it's a goal and it's a new year. And goals and new years, they go together like PB&J. So go follow us at Me, Myself, Millie. That's M-E-M-Y-S-E-L-F-M-I-L-L-I-E. Okay, here's Kirsty Lee. Kirsty, I am so glad to have you here and finally be talking with you. We did it. We found a time, an international time that works for both of us. We did. And thank you for having me. It's a bit tricky with the time difference, but we're here now. So we did it. We we trudged through. <laughs> it was, you know, that math calculation with um California time and Melbourne time. Yeah, it's a bit tricky. It was a tricky road. I had to really use my brain then. (laughs) (laughs) The time difference, day, night, hours. Oh, man, it's tricky. Well, we're here. It's so great to have you. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we dive into your fertility story, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Okay, so I am 36. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And I was working uh, night shift on the railway line. So here in Melbourne, um, you know, we have certain um, jobs that only work at night time. So when the trains stop running, we're able to go onto the track and fix the track and, you know, stop all the traffic um, at where the booming gates are. So that's how I met my fiance. So he is a leading hand on the railway network and he would fix the rail and then I would come along and stop all the traffic and make sure that the guys were safe to get on at where the boom gates are and they would hop on the, to the railway line and then go down the railway line 
and then fix it. So that's what I was doing and it was night shift. So it was seven at night till seven in the morning. So 12 hour shifts. And sometimes it was eight at night till four in the morning. So we met at work and um, got together not long after meeting. And um, yeah, so I don't, I don't work anymore at the moment because obviously I'm pregnant and just the night shift, those hours, they're just, they're just too hard on the body and it just wasn't working with, um, with doing IVF and staying healthy and going to bed at a certain um, hour during the night. So I'm not working. Oh man. Mum, dog mum. Dog mum. But like I have never, I don't think I've ever met somebody that has like working, worked on a railroad before, like that's their job. And so like, would you classify it as like an engineer, a mechanic, like what, what, how would you classify what you guys did? Um, so yeah, you could sort of put it under construction worker. Um, cause Stephen would, you know, do a construction with the railway lines, but I would, my classification was a traffic control or traffic controller or traffic control management. Um, probably not the princess kind of job most people would think that I would do. <laughs> yeah, but that's what makes you so badass. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a tomboy at heart, actually. So um, our job is made up, you know, 80% of men, but it is becoming um, a lot more, you know, fe- a lot more of a female environment. So, yeah, go us women in the, in the male society. I love it. Roll up your sleeves, like getting dirty. I love it. This is awesome. Um, And so, well, I have another question. And this is primarily because I am married to a man with an accent. Do you get sick of people telling you how amazing your accent is? I don't think I have one (laughs) at all. Like you, you definitely have an accent. Um, yeah, I do get told that quite a lot through Instagram because um, a lot of my followers are overseas, but I just don't think I have an accent. Isn't that funny? It's yeah. just it's just people talk differently all over the world. Um, and at a certain point, my husband was like, listen, like we all just speak differently. This is a global – we live in a gl- global ha- atmosphere, you know? Like yeah. it, it, it's um, – do you think you've got an accent? Oh, I definitely have one. Definitely. You have it and I love it. A hundred percent. Like when I moved to California, people were like, um, you're definitely not from here. And I was like, nope, I'm not. I'm from Detroit and I speak out of my nose. Um, <laughs> so I'm very yeah, nasally. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people think I'm nasally too. Oh. I, I had a few people like, oh, have you got a cold? And I'm like, no, it's just my voice. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just running with it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. give us a glimpse into your fertility journey and start with when you and your partner started talking about having children. Okay. So what are we now? in November 2020. Okay. So... My partner and I began talking about it in August last year and we both knew that we wanted to have children 
Um, that wasn't even a question. And Stephen and I moved very quickly. You know, within dating after two weeks, he told me he loved me. He he wanted me to be his girlfriend. And then six months later, we got engaged. So we moved quite fast and we both knew exactly what we wanted and we decided, yep, let's try and have children. Try is the magic word there, the key word. Um, so after trying for about two months, we fell pregnant. And unfortunately, we lost that baby at around four weeks. So we thought, okay, well, let's, you know, keep going. Um, And then another two months went by and we fell pregnant again. And our HCG results came back at just seven. So um, obviously it wasn't a vile pregnancy again. Um, And then after the second time, I said to him, look, we need to go and get checked. I'm at an age where I'm, you know, 35 I'm not a young spring chicken anymore, so let's go and get tested. Let's see if it's me or you or, you know, unexplained infertility. Um, so we did. We went and got checked. He's he's fine. His swimmers are actually really good. Um, but I've got an AMH of only 1.7. So um, after finding out those two um, results, we decided to find a IVF clinic here in Melbourne and the first thing that we did was went and had um, a laparoscopy done because my fertility specialist said she would like to go in, have a look around, see what's happening, see if there's any scarring or anything and, and why these embryos are, you know, just getting to the stage of early implantation and then not sticking. So we did that. This was how many months into trying uh, just on the six-month mark, so about six. So usually here in Melbourne they say to everyone, try for six months and if you're not succeeding, then see an IVF spe- specialist. But, you know, I'm over, I was over 35, so I said to my partner, I don't want to wait anymore. So we got to the five-month mark and I said, no, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to be my own advocate and put my foot down and say, you know, it's not before the six months, but I know there's something wrong and, and I want to get checked. So... Um, they were fine with seeing us as, again, I think it might be because of, of my age, they let us in before the six-month mark. Um, but, yeah, so we went and had the laparoscopy done and they found some polyps and some scarring and then they, I had both of those removed. Um, and then we started our first round of egg collection and a fresh transfer. So considering my AMH is only 1.7, we actually retrieved 10 eggs nine fertilized and magically seven survived. So wow. Yeah. Amazing result from an AMH that's 1.7 and I'm over 35. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. Really good result. So I just responded to the, to the um, medication really well. Um, and so we froze six of them and we did a fresh transfer and transferred the one and it didn't even implant, unfortunately. So we had to go back to the drawing board. Now, I just might um, add that this is with my first clinic. So my first IVF clinic, we did the first cycle, the egg collection, the fresh transfer, didn't implant. So we went back to the drawing board and thought, okay, let's change up the medication. Let's go again. We've got six more. We don't need to do another egg collection. We've got plenty of embryos in the freezer. So 
The second cycle was going along really nicely. We were taking all the, you know, the medication. And then when I went into my last scan, she said, I'm not happy with your lining. It's only 7.4. I think we should cancel your cycle. Now, at this stage, Stephen was still with me in Melbourne, obviously living together. And we were both really upset, but we thought we didn't want to waste an embryo, trans- transferring an embryo, if my lining wasn't thick enough. So, you know, if my uterus isn't inviting in, in the right environment, why waste an embryo? So we went along with her instructions and cancelled the cycle. And it's just so heartbreaking when you get so close and it's like, but you haven't, you haven't quite tried just that little bit extra. But if they tell you, you know, it's not a good decision to go ahead, then you just sort of have to listen to your IVF clinic. So that was heartbreaking, but Steve and I said, all right, here we go again, third time. Let's hit it head on. So for the third cycle, we tried some different medication because she wanted to get my lining even thicker than 7.4. So this this is where the story gets interesting. So my third cycle, different meds, up the meds, more bloating, more injections, um, probably more more stress because this time it, it was more stressful because I was thinking every day, I need to get my lining right, otherwise she's going to cancel on me again. Mm, the pressure was on. Yeah, definitely. So, and I was trying to do everything I could just to get this lining thick enough. Anyway, days went by and I thought, oh, I've been, you know, taking this medication and, and doing these injections and I haven't had a scan yet. So I got to day 11 and I went in for my scan and she said to me, okay, your lining looks really good. We're going to um, book you in for to trigger you and we're going to book you in and do your transfer, you know, five days later for a five-day embryo transfer. Got it. And that that day I had a blood test done just to check, you know, ovulation and whatnot. And I went home and I spoke to Stephen and I said, oh, can you believe it? My lining's actually gotten to 7.8. So we were aiming aiming for eight millimetres, but it got to 7.8. And she said, you know, that's good enough. Looks really good. So I went home and I said to Steve, oh, okay, five days' time. I'm going to trigger tonight and we're going to five days' time. I'm going to transfer our second embryo. I was so excited. I even get excited now talking about it. Um, and then she called me later that night. I thought, oh, she's calling me to say what time to trigger. She calls me and she says, you've already ovulated. <gasps> no. And I, and she goes to me, what day of your cycle are you? And I said, I'm day 11. And she turned, and she, I was going to say she turned around and she said to me on the phone, day 11, you're supposed to be monitored from day seven or eight. So we don't miss your ovulation. And I said, so I've wasted all this time, time I can't get back, more injections, more stress, more more emotions, more more money, more, more everything, and you guys have stuffed my cycle up because your nurse has booked me in day 11 and not day 7 or 8. And she was so apologetic um, and I just, 
Oh, it even breaks my heart now thinking about it. Just And this was your, because you did a fresh transfer. So this was going to be your first frozen embryo transfer? Correct. Oh my gosh. We were lucky that they hadn't started to thaw out the embryo or anything without knowing that I had ovulated. Yeah, because it would have ruined, well, we would have lost an embryo. I know a girl that that happened to. And now that embryo is so questionable. Mm -hmm. You know, they go through the thawing process and then the refreezing and then the thawing again. It's, you're messing with the embryos a lot. Yeah, that's right. So that was just the icing on the cake with my first clinic. I had many other things happen with them. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but I had sort of wrong medication, um, you know, dispensed. Um, just a few little things that I just wasn't happy with the clinic and then for them to ruin my entire cycle. You know, you're supposed to get monitored at day seven or eight in your cycle so they can do a blood test and see when your LH levels are about to surge. So when it was day 11, my fertility specialist, she just, she couldn't believe that the nurses at the clinic had booked me in so late. And of course I had ovulated and I'm still injecting. I'm still trying to, oh. to yeah, I'm still trying to grow my lining. So it was re- it was a bit painful um, and I think it was painful because I'd ovulated and I was still trying to stimulate everything, you know, in that area. So that third cycle, Stephen had actually gone um, interstate for work. So that third cycle, you know, I, I thought, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, I've done two cycles with him already. You know, I'll just tackle it head on. But when she called me to say that I'd already ovulated, it was the only time in three months because Stephen had, had been away for three months. It was the only time in three months that his phone had died at work. Oh. And I just thought, what is the universe doing to me? I was bawling my eyes out. And it was the only time that he had said to me at about four o'clock in the afternoon, hey, babe, my phone's dying at work and I didn't bring my phone charger. I'll speak to you tonight. And it was the only day out of 89 days that his phone was dead and I needed him. Oh, my gosh, Kirsty. Yeah, I was such a, you know, when you're bawling and you can't catch your breath mm-hmm. because you're just crying so much, like I just, and I just thought I need, you know, but but it kind of, I look back now and I think, gosh, that made me stronger because I, I dealt with it on my own. That moment, I just, I only had me to really pull myself out of that situation and go, right, this has happened, but now we just need to focus on the next steps because we're not giving up. So. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. But very disappointing that they had ruined my cycle because it's time oh. it's time you can't get back. And it's a clinical error. You know, it's like it's like scheduling. You know, it just seems something so simple that you weren't you learn in elementary school. Mm, you know, definitely. it's not a science thing. It's not a um, you know, a finan- even a financial thing. Yeah, it's just booking in a scan, a, a blood test. So simple. And look, they offered to give us the next cycle for free, but they wanted us to pay in full for the cycle that they ruined. And I said, but I wouldn't be doing another cycle if it wasn't for your mistake. 
So why am I paying for a mistake you made? Like, like I just did not understand it. And they were just trying to, you know, say, oh, we're being compassionate. We're going to give you the next round for free. But as I said, I wouldn't be doing another round if this one had worked and it was successful when I was pregnant. And you can't give me back all the, you know, the time and the emotions that I went through and all the, the effort and the injections and the medication and back-to-back cycles, what I was doing to my body, um, you can't get that back. So yeah. Steve and I made the decision to find another clinic and we did and I'm just so grateful I found the courage to change because as a person I don't really like change. I'm a very, I'm a homebody. I'm comfortable with, you know, schedules and, and planning and I'm a big planner. So when it came to changing clinics I was so nervous but I just thought if I really want this baby things need to change and changing a clinic is what we needed to do. Wow. So you changed clinics after that um, massive um, clerical error. Mm-hmm. And did you have to transport your embryos? Yes. So this stage, Steve is still away working. He's in Adelaide building a railway line to the new hospital. So he's over there doing 10 to 12 hour days, six days a week. And I'm sitting here trying to organize paperwork and transferring of embryos and and keeping my shit together. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, I had a wine or two in between those cycles. (laughs) I I love it. I love it. Yeah, there's I mean the paperwork involved. How did you get his signature? Uh, So what I did is I had to email him. No, I had to print off my documents sign them, scan them, email them to him. He had to print them off, do his signature, scan them, and then send them back to me, and then I would send them back to the clinic. Now, I had to do that a few times and to both clinics because you have to release them from the first clinic and then you have to send them off to the second clinic. Um, So it was even paperwork. It's so annoying, isn't it? (laughs) I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, it's just, it's it's so annoying. And then chasing up the first clinic going, oh, did you get my paperwork? Because I also didn't want to wait too many cycles in between. Once I'd, once we'd cancelled that last cycle because they had missed my ovulation, I wanted to go again straight away. So I needed to get my six embryos over to my second clinic in time from when my period would come. Um, cause I was like, there is no waiting. I want this baby and we're going to keep going. There's, there's no stopping us. So, um, luckily they did. Our six embryos were transported and Steve always says to this day, I hope it's the right embryos. I, know. <laughs> I hope it's not someone else's. Hope they don't stuff that up as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they're our, our little M babies. Hoping they anyway. I just love how you say stuff it up. Oh, like yeah, sorry. Mixing so thing up. I love it. No, I'm I'm using it. Like great thanks for the stuff up, man. Yeah, I stuffed it up. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna use it. Um, okay, so you found your new clinic. Mm-hmm. How um and and he was away. How did that how did that go? So the biggest thing with having a partner being away is communication and thank God for technology and things like FaceTime. So 
you know, as I said before, he was gone for 89 days and I love it because there's one text message at the end that says, hey, babe, do you know that you've sent me 89 good morning messages in, a, in a, obviously in a row? Um, because he would wake up so early to go to work and I would still be asleep. So he was the first one to message because it's always like whoever wakes up first sends a message first, you know. So, you know, 89 good morning messages, I would probably say over 300 messages in total phone calls, FaceTime, it's just communication and explaining how each person feels and just staying connected that way because you don't want to lose that connection, um, especially during such a hard time like IVF and trying for a baby. And so you went through your, now this would be technically your third cycle of um, transferring an embryo. So this this will be the fourth, fourth, the fourth cycle. So the first one was a fresh and didn't work. And then you got your second one, which she cancelled my lining. The third one, she missed my ovulation. And then we've got this fourth one. So but second transfer of an embryo. Got so this it. Is the second time I've actually able to transfer an embryo. But the first thing that we did at my new clinic, which my old clinic actually didn't even believe in, was testing for NK cells, which is your natural killer cells that we all have. Um, And just with some people, they have a higher level. So if you have a higher level, it's like those natural killer cells start to kill off the embryo. So it almost thinks that the embryo is a blood clot and and those natural killer cells wants to remove it from your body sort of doing you a favour, thinking it's a blood clot, but it's not. To You know, to us, it's the embryo. So I had a endometrial biopsy done just before we started my, my fourth cycle with this new clinic, and she found that I had a level of 20, and I was put on prednisolone and clexane. So the clexane's a blood thinner. So I think it's a wonder drug and I really believe that this helped me get pregnant. So with the blood thinner, it thinned my blood. So my body wasn't thinking it's a blood clot, the embryo. So um, I've heard of this before. Like some people's bodies will perceive the embryo as a foreign object and they'll start attacking it. Yes, it's exactly what it does. It thinks it's a foreign object or it's a blood clot. So it goes, right, I need to attack it. Um, and it's funny because they're called natural killer cells. Um, you almost think of killer, you know, it's it's attacking, it's killing this foreign object. So with the blood thinners, that kind of tricks it. And so it doesn't think that, you know, it needs to, to get rid of it, which is absolutely amazing. I know so many women here in Melbourne that have been tested for the NK cells. They've been put on the immune protocol and they've fallen pregnant. And this is something that my old clinic didn't believe in and wouldn't test for. And I just think if I'd stayed there, how many cycles and failed embryo transfers may I have gone through because she wouldn't test for this, um, you know, for the NK cells. And it's fine that if she doesn't believe in it, but if it's something that could possibly work and yet goes against your beliefs, I still think they should test for it. It should be available to everyone whether their own beliefs as a doctor is oh well I, I don't believe in it but if it can help then I think it should be available because like I said how many cycles can you go through that don't work because that doctor doesn't have the belief yeah a hundred percent and and um 
The other thing is if it creates more reassurance of, you know, to ensure that there, it's a successful M transfer, like sign me up, you know, like why not? Mm. And, um, and some, yeah, it, especially if I think if people are dealing with low numbers of embryos, you know, like do all the tests, check off all the box. Absolutely. If there is tests that can be done, yet you don't believe them, that should, still should be up for offer. It should be available to everyone, regardless of your beliefs as a doctor, because I've had people come to me and say, I'm with this clinic. They don't want me to test for it. Should I move? And my answer is yes. You should be at a clinic where they are offering you every single test that is available to get you pregnant. It's not about their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a, it's a tricky one because, you know, a lot of doctors will stick by what they know and, and you know, but I just think the end goal should be getting your patient pregnant. Right. A hundred percent. Now, I have a fact check, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong. In Australia, do you test the gender with PGTS testing? So we do do the testing, but here in Australia, it's illegal to find out the sex. So the clinic will know the, the sex because if you get your embryos tested, but as I said, it's illegal here. So none of the patients are allowed to know whether it's a boy or girl, which is very different to you guys, correct? It's very different. Yeah, you get to know. Very different. Yeah, I mean, we we know. We've been trying to keep it a secret. Um, but I know that in Britain, they have the same, they follow the same rule. They will not share the sex of the um, embryo. And... Um, I, you know, I tend to appreciate that a little bit because I think that, um, I don't know, you can get into a lot of um, gender favoritism, you know, mm. and with that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? Look, each to their own. Everyone has, you know, a different opinion on this. I know that. But I guess here in Australia, because it's illegal, it's, it's something that, we don't really think about because it's it's not on offer. I, I know a lot of people in America that really want a girl and they get them tested and they pick the girl and they, they transfer the female embryo. But I don't know if I could choose. I know. I'm not sure. And because it's never been on offer to me, I've never really thought about it in too much depth. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a tricky, it's a really bizarre isn't it? To be confronted with that option mm. is just crazy. Yeah, here, pick a child's gender. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyways, this is a minor detail, but I have to ask, how did you do your shots? And throughout the process of doing your fourth um, cycle, um, this first frozen embryo transfer, um did any of your protocol ask for assistance? If so, who did you ask for help? Okay, so back on my very first injection, I remember Steve was like, okay, I'm going to work now. And I was like, you can't go to work. I have to inject myself. Like, you need to be here. And he's like, do you want me to do it for you? And I was like, no, 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 no. You're not doing it for me. 
Um, I said, I'll do it, but I like, I need you here next to me. And the next thing I knew it was about, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon. And he's like, well, I've got to go. I've got to go to work. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? And I started sweating and he had to leave. And I just thought, you know what, I'm getting thrown in the deep end here. And this is sort of the way I live my life since I was young that, you know, get thrown in the deep end. That's how you learn. So I remember I was sitting there and, and opening up the packet and I was sweating and shaking and this little tiny injection was, you know, right in front of me and I thought, how am I going to do this? And again, thank God for technology. I remember I FaceTimed a friend and I said to her, you know, I need to like turn this injection and it needs to click and then I need to take the lid off and how do I even get the needle back on it? And I was freaking out. And then, of course, you're looking at the time because you've got a certain time that you need to inject and I just kept thinking, if I don't do this, it's going to be 10, 15, 20 minutes past the time that I'm supposed to inject. I need to get my ass into gear. And I was FaceTiming my girlfriend and she's like, you can do this. Like, it is okay. You've got this. And I just remember squeezing my tummy so tight that I thought if I squeeze the area tight enough, I won't actually feel the head of the needle go in. And it, it worked and I still do it to this day. Just as I go to inject myself, and I still am injecting myself right now, um, I just squeeze that bit of skin extra tight as I put the needle in. And then once the tip's in, I just, you know, it goes in. Now now I'm a pro at it. I've, you know, probably done over two, 300 needles since March this year. Um, wow. Yeah, and it just, it's it's funny in between cycles, I actually miss the injections because I feel like every injection is a step closer to, to having my baby or, you know, getting pregnant. So when I'm not injecting, I feel like I'm not doing enough. It's it's this weird feeling of, of just missing the medications and missing the injections because a lot of people think, oh, gosh, how do you do it? Because I film it and I put it on my Instagram, show people how I inject and a lot of people think I'm crazy and a lot of people get their partners to help them but I just do it myself um so you didn't ask for Stephen's help at all no because I thought what happens if he like jabs at my stomach or (laughs) it in the wrong angle and then I thought what is if it snaps off (laughs) because you know men they're just like they don't think sometimes and they're just really rough and I was like, no, I'm doing this myself. You're not doing it. And I thought if I can conquer doing it myself, then I've got this. So he came back. When did he return? At what point in that fourth um, cycle did he return? Yep. Okay. So with the fourth cycle, we went through um, the endometrial scratch at the start that found the NK cells. Then we began all the medication And then we transferred the embryo again on my own. So when I was in the clinic, I got to film everything. So what they do is they have your phone in a little holder and they get to film the embryo being transferred, um, any scans, anything like that, everything is filmed. So as soon as I come out of the room, I would send it to his phone. And it's, you know, it's here in Melbourne. He's not allowed in the room anyway due to COVID. So even if he was here, in Melbourne and not away working, I would still have to film it because he's not allowed in the room. 
So um, he didn't arrive back from Adelaide until after I told him that it was a positive pregnancy test. Oh, my gosh. I had to tell him over FaceTime. I said to him, can you please FaceTime me after work? And he was like, why? And I said, oh, I want to show you Sassy's new trick. Now, Sassy is our little French bulldog. She's only a little puppy. And I needed an excuse to tell him to FaceTime me because I thought I don't want him to be sus. So I said to him, I've taught Sassy a new trick. I want to show you. So he FaceTimed me and I just held up the pregnancy test. And he was like, no. Oh. He's like, what? And I was like, we're pregnant. <laughs> He's like, oh my god! And I, I could see him, get, I could see him getting teary. Oh, and yeah, it was beautiful. It was so good. I mean, obviously, it would have been different if I could tell him to his face, but that's life. And COVID has certainly mixed up life in 2020. So we just deal with what we've got. And he was away working. And I told him through FaceTime. (laughs) Wow. So I guess that's how you were really able to keep him involved throughout the journey was technology really stepped in and like made, you know, built this bridge for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So even when I went for my scans after this, after the blood test came back with my HCG level at 181, Um, every scan that we had, I, again, would film it, film the heartbeats, um, film the little baby wiggling. And again, after, you know, the appointment, I would just send it to him on his phone and he could watch it back. So, you know, thank God for technology because that's the way that we, we, I kept him involved. There was no other way to do it really. Um, I wanted him to physically see what I was seeing, um, obviously without being in the room. So, and I'm, and I'm grateful for the clinic allowing me to film that as well because I feel like maybe, you know, if it was last year, things would be a little bit different. But I think this year people are really appreciative of, of being in the moment, you know, and filming things because not everyone can be together due to COVID. Yep. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and And so did you have to do any progesterone in oil shots on your rump? Do you know what? I need to do a little bit more research on that, but I don't know anyone in Melbourne that does progesterone and oil. (gasps) I'm I'm not sure we do that here. Don't take my word for it because I do need to research, but I don't know anyone in Australia or, or Melbourne that does progesterone and oil, and they look nasty. Oh, gosh, because it's a big needle in your tush, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It's terrible. It's terrible. You do it? I did. I had to do it until I was um, long after my transfer, too. They continue to want you to do it. It's um, apparently it's like it. I mean, it helps, you know, the embryo. It, it it gives the embryo the du- most direct and the right. most amount of progesterone. Okay. Because um, you through, have the suppositories as well, correct? Yes. I was on the suppositories as well as the rump shots. Wow. And um, it was rough. It's rough. But I do know that certain clinics um, 
there's a clinic in San Francisco that will um, does not do any PIO shots, but they yeah. do like a letrozole or a Clomid before as um, before the transfer to beef up the progesterone um, release after ovulation. So, yeah, I don't know anyone that does the progesterone shots here. Like I said, it might be available. I just have never heard of anyone doing them here. So I'm not sure if that's a thing. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, well, that's another thing that we can look up because I'm now I'm now I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole because that's just interesting to me. Yeah, I'm gonna go look at it later. I need to know now. <laughs> yeah. Anything you wish you knew before you started all of this? Any frustrations or challenges that you wish you had foreseen? Um, you know what? I wish that I had done more research and had more questions. So with my first cycle, I just sort of went in, went into it thinking, you know, I'm with a clinic. They know what they're doing. Um, they'll tell me what medication and, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, you know, I'm in their hands. I wish that I knew more information, more questions to ask because on my second cycle, you know, I was asking her things and she's like, oh, well, yeah, we could try that. And I thought, well, why haven't we? You know, or I would ask her about lining and, and you know, numbers and because IVF is such a numbers game. Um, I just found the frustration where you, you really need to be your own advocate in, in IVF and you need to trust your own gut and ask questions. You need to have a list of questions. As I said, with my second cycle, when I went back, I think I had 30 questions written down, you know, um, embryo glue, um, lining, you know, would, would this medicine help the lining better? Could we incorporate that medicine with this one? Should we up it a little bit? You know, all these questions. And I, and I think sometimes, you know, it can be also your downfall when you know all these numbers, because if you didn't know these numbers, it's sort of, you know, a, a worry that you wouldn't have. Like with with HCG, you know, if you didn't know what number your first result should be and you just got the number back, you'd be like, okay, well, that sounds like a good number. But if you know it's got to be over, you know, between 200 and 400 and it's just 201, you can sort of be your own downfall by knowing the numbers. But, I, you know, I am grateful that I've done so much research because then moving to my second clinic, I understood also what she was telling me and what medication did what. So I knew what it was going to do to my body. I knew the side effects and I was confident in her because I had done my own research. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that there is a lot of, a lot of us put doctors on pedestals and just sort of like, you know, yes, yes. And everything they say, you know, and I mm -hmm. think that it's important to, to bring your own questions to, to the table so that you feel a reassurance. Well, biggest example as well with my third cycle, if I knew that I really should have been monitored on day seven, eight or nine to check my ovulation, I wouldn't have let it get to day 11 myself within my own cycle. I would have said, hang on a minute, I've gone past day seven or eight. I would have rang the clinic and said, you know, I'm right in the middle of a cycle. Shouldn't I be getting a blood test right now so you don't miss my ovulation? 
So if I'd spoken up or did a little bit more research and been my own advocate, you know, maybe we would have gotten to the transfer stage with that cycle and, you know, we, we wouldn't have had a ruined cycle because I would have known myself. Yep, yep. Because you put so much trust into the clinic, you don't think they're going to miss your ovulation, your ovulation or, or, you know, make other mistakes. You're paying them to not make mistakes. Exactly, exactly. Um, for any listener out there right now who might be going through the same thing with their partner being away, do you have any advice for them? Um, biggest thing, as I said before, is communication. And you need to remember that your partner's involved in this just as much as you are. I know we physically go through it, but mentally they're involved. And, you know, some of the time I think they can feel a little bit left out. And if they're away, not even, you know, in the vicinity of, of living with you or being able to come and see you, so especially if they're interstate, keep them involved. Send them little videos. Send them messages. Send them photos of your scans. Like keep them involved because the men, you know, they're invested in this too. And I think sometimes we forget that it's that it's not just us because because we're physically going through it, but they're mentally going through it too. And they want to be here and support us. And if they're away working and making the money, I mean, that's that's their part in it too, you know. So communication, number one key if anyone's listening. Love it. Love it. I, I, I mean, I just, I mean, even if your partner is here, communication is so important too. Yeah, right? Like, I think you got, you guys got like an extra layer of challenge with the distance. But I mean, again, like with COVID, you know, partners can't be at all of these appointments and relaying what happens to these, at these appointments is so important because it's both of your bodies, you know? I think it's a little blessing in disguise sometimes when they're, I mean, it's not a blessing that they're not allowed in, but because of COVID, you know, I've got all these scans on film and it's probably something that I might not have said, oh, do you mind if I film this as well? Because a lot of the time you, you want to be in the moment, not having your iPhone next to you and filming something. But I look back now and I think I've got all these videos of the heartbeat and it's something that the clinic don't offer to to send you. They don't record it. So you know, because of COVID and the partners not being allowed in, there is a silver lining that you can have these memories forever on your phone and video footage where, you know, I wouldn't have had it if COVID wasn't around. So find a silver lining of everything, true? Yes. Find a positive, every negative. What makes your blood boil about infertility? Oh, okay, so this is this is a little bit controversial, I think, but I I do not like the word disease. I have read it on a few infertility pages, and I just, you know, the the word disease to me auto, automatically makes me sad. Now, you know, being infertile, I just you know, it's more of a medical condition to me and it's I see it as we just need a little bit of help from science. Um, we might not be able to make babies 
the way other people make it, but I don't think it's a disease. I don't look at someone and go, oh, you're infertile, you have a disease, there's something wrong with you. I just think that, you know, there's just little areas in our lives and in this journey that we need help with. So it really grinds my gears when someone says, oh, you know, it's a disease. I just, and like I said, it's controversial. I know some people look at it as a disease, but I don't. um, And I don't want to look at someone and think, okay, you're struggling to have a baby. You know, that's really sad. Like I don't want to, I don't want people to look at me and feel sorry for me. Um, it's just, I need a little helping hand from science. That's all. Great. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. I never thought about it like that, but I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I just, um, I don't, I don't think it should always be a negative topic infertility. There's a lot of positives that come out of it. A lot of amazing stories. I mean, you know, the percentage rate here in Melbourne, and I was actually just on TV this morning, the percentage rate of successful IVF transfers is, is, um, <laughs> oh, Uh-oh, what happened? Oh, Sassy just <laughs> tips Sassy, over to me. Sassy has a lot of opinions about <laughs> infertility. Oh, I know. I think she wants my attention. She just um, dropped the clothesline. <laughs> oh, sassy. Sassy. I want to know what sassy thinks about what makes sassy's blood boil about infertility. Oh, when I'm, when she's not getting fed on time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so funny. I love it. I really love it when dogs make an appearance. Oh, there she is. Oh, my gosh. The listeners, I have to describe this beautiful French bull, French bulldog, right? Yes, yes. She's been naughty right now. Oh, she is a peach. Yes, she's very cute. She's been here for, been with us for seven months now. And oh, she's my cheeky. gosh. She's cheeky. Adorable. So, um, how is Sassy going to deal with having a new brother or sister? Oh gosh, I don't know. I've been asked this question so many times because when I first got her, it was the start of my fourth cycle. Oh no, not the fourth cycle, third or fourth cycle. Um, and no, it was sorry, it was a fourth cycle after we transferred the embryo, and everyone kept saying to me, "She won't stop laying on your your pelvis area." And everyone kept saying, she knows that there's an embryo in there. She's like, she knows you're pregnant. And I was like, oh, don't be silly. And it's funny because she doesn't do it as often anymore. But at the start when I was so emotionally consumed by it every day thinking, has this worked, you know, um, the, the injections and just analysing every symptom, she would not stop trying to lay on my pelvis area. And the clinic said to me, she can actually not lay there because if she heats heats up your uterus, that's not good for the embryo. So I kept moving her off me. And that's how I think I really remember now how many times she tried to just stay so connected to me. And I think she knew, but now I'm not sure because she's seven months. So I'm not due for another, you know, seven or eight months. I wonder how she'll go when she's a little bit older. And whether she'll be fine with me having someone else, you know, attached to my hip 
because she's always there, yeah. always wanting to lay on me next to me. She follows me around like a shadow. Yeah. It's always the big question. How will the doggy, you know, l- accept the baby, you know? Mm. And I think it's a it's a bonding relationship for them too. And everybody has always told me, and this is what I hope will happen for us, is that the dog accepts the child as part of the wolf pack, you know? Yeah. Like – because we're all a pack, you know, they're that pack mentality. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I hope that happens for you too, Kirsty and Sassy. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope she doesn't get jealous. <laughs> I know. Guys, I'll have question. to buy her a little brother or sister. I'll have to get another one, won't I? <laughs> you will. You will. Well, how can people follow you and your journey and connect with you um, on Instagram? Yeah, so um, anyone can just look me up on Instagram. It's Kirsty underscore Lee underscore underscore. There is two underscores at the end. Um, and, yeah, you can inbox me. You can follow my journey. Um, you can ask me any questions. I'm an open book and nothing is off limits. So, yeah, feel free. Anyone that wants to connect. Follow Kirsty. I I can't thank you enough. This has been so, so eye-opening. I especially love talking to people who are going through the IVF process in other countries. So I think this has just been so helpful, and I'm so glad we actually got a time to sit down and chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll be in touch. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. Thank you.